A rapper dressed as a tampon, a governor blew taxpayer dollars on T-Swift tickets, and Good Morning is apparently rooted in racism. It's time for my first round of Losers for the month of November, and the show starts now. Tuesday was Halloween, and like any fun holiday, leave it to liberals to ruin it with the same tired cultural appropriation trigger drumbeat. This year was no different. Internet trolls, many of whom have been openly supporting Hamas terrorists, searched Instagram high and low looking for celebrity costumes to be offended by this year. And as usual, a Kardashian made the list. This year it was Chloe, who has been accused of blackfishing in her Bratz costume due to her skin tone appearing to be darker than normal. This is exhausting. It really is. And if that is offensive cultural appropriation, then guess what else is? This. Lil Nas, a man, dressed as a bloody tampon. First of all, gross. Second of all, cultural appropriation. Because try as he might, Lil Nas will never menstruate. And as a woman, and in the spirit of liberal wokeism, I'll take this opportunity to be offended. Glad that's over. Oh, wait, it's not, because there's more faux outrage and faux cries of racism where that came from. In case you haven't heard, everything is racist. Timeliness, cleanliness, exercise, and now even the greeting, good morning. It was really a mockery towards black slaves and them making fun of what they did to their people when someone was hung, killed, or sold off to a different plantation. So that was their way of being funny. Did you have a good morning? Did you have a good cry about that person's death? Did you have a good cry about your daughter being taken away from you and sold off somewhere else? Did you have a good cry of your brother being hung yesterday? That was their way of being funny. Good morning, everyone. Hmm, well, damn, if good morning is racist, I hope someone alerted a certain show on a certain network. Yeah, who wants to tell them? Moving on to my third loser this week, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, who used thousands of dollars, 12000 to be exact, in taxpayer money to attend a Taylor Swift concert, among other events, at MetLife Stadium. All roads lead back to Taylor Swift lately, it would seem. But Governor Murphy is now asking the state Democratic Party to reimburse taxpayers for those expenditures, saying he thought the Democratic Party was going to cover it the whole time. Whoops! Governor Murphy, it's you. Hi, you're the problem. It's you. And those are my losers of the week. Turning now to a far more serious concern, national security and immigration experts agree that some 500 Americans in Gaza are being held hostage. Senator Marsha Blackburn wants answers and is calling on the Biden administration to formally declare these Americans as hostages under federal law. And she joins me now. Senator, as always, it's so great to have you. Uh, you know, I saw your email blast and, of course, your tweet talking about the hundreds of Americans that are still trapped. You want them to be classified as hostages. Tell my audience what they need to know about these Americans and the situation that they find themselves in in Gaza. Yes, Tommy, we're pleased that we now are getting these individuals released, but we were troubled over the weekend when Jake Sullivan gave an interview on Face the Nation and admitted there were about 500 Americans in Gaza. Some are aid workers, some are citizens that were there visiting family members. 
uh, friends, and they had gotten trapped in the country. Well, we kept hearing that the Rafa gate was open for people to pass and to move through that gate and out of harm's way. The Israelis had no problem. And Jake Sullivan on Sunday said, even though the Egyptians were willing to take them and Israel had no problem, that there were challenges with moving them out and they were trying to negotiate with Hamas. So then you have John Kirby, who is the Security Council spokesman, who moves forward and says, we're trying to work with the demands of Hamas. You had the same type statement coming out of the State Department. And I said, hey, wait a minute, let's look at how we define hostage in federal code. And when you look at 18 USC 1203, you see that the United States recognizes as a hostage an individual or groups of individuals that are being detained against their will and not allowed to exit an area and an individual organization or government making a demand of our government. So looking at that, you have to say Hamas has these individuals as hostages, but we were not able to get information as to why the White House and the State Department was not classifying them as such, why the White House was not saying to Hamas, you better not touch any of these individuals, and why there was no safe passage. And Tommy, I think it's important to note, these are individuals separate uh, from the 240 individuals from Israel, various nations, including the U.S., the 30 from the U.S. that are hostages and that were in Israel and then taken by Hamas into Gaza. So it just shows you the degree of complexity and the amount of concern that is there and the need for our government to have a very explicit plan of action to free these individuals. So, Senator, what is, in your mind, the best course of action when it comes to these hostages, whether they are actually the ones that were kidnapped or they are the ones that are just not allowed free passage that are still trying to get out? You know, we always say we don't negotiate with terrorists. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Of course, the Biden administration right. has blurred those lines several times, like when he got the WNBA player out of Russia. But what is the best situation for the United States to do to secure these peoples, to secure the, the hostages without having to actually negotiate with a terrorist organization and give them what they want? What do you see the as best, the best course of action? Yes, the best course of action at this point is we need to be very firm with Iran. We need to make certain that the world knows we are blocking, freezing that $6 billion ransom payment to Iran a couple of months ago, and that Iran is never going to touch that money. And then we need to put the sanctions back in place. They're still there, but let's start enforcing these sanctions on oil sales from Iran right now. Here's a great example for your audience, Tommy. When uh, Donald Trump was president, 
He drove Iran's oil sales, annual oil revenue, down from about $30 billion down to around $10 billion. And he did it because he put sanctions in place and they couldn't go sell on the global market. Well, those sanctions have been relaxed by Joe Biden. Iran is now making about $1 billion a week on oil sales. That's a billion dollars a week. Now, when Iran gets a dollar, what does Iran do with that dollar? The first two things they do are to do uranium enrichment because they want to build a nuclear warhead. And the second thing they do is to fund terrorism. They are the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. They don't use their money to feed the poor or educate the children or care for the elderly. It goes into terrorism and it goes into uranium enrichment. We know this. Let's cut their funding off. Let's be firm with that. Let's be firm with countries and let them know we do not negotiate for hostages. We don't go in here and pay a ransom like the deal with the $6 billion to Iran. You better not be taking these Americans and you better not be hurting these Americans. And that is an important message to send so that we don't have things like this happen with Americans being taken hostage and Americans not allowed to leave uh, an area like Gaza and being in that hostage type situation where they're being held and detained against their will and not allowed to leave. This is the definition of hostage. So we have to be firm in how we deal on the global stage. And Senator, not only that, but another issue that I hope that the United States will be firm on is not taking in so-called refugees from Gaza, from Palestine. I know that's something even here in the volunteer state in Tennessee that we're concerned about. We've already got thousands of people coming across our southern border weekly, if not more than that. And we're very concerned that somehow some of these individuals from Gaza are going to be resettled in our country. We don't know if we can vet these people. We don't know their intentions, their motives. And quite frankly, just frankly put, we're, we're full. So, Senator, what are you going to do to make sure to the best of your ability, that we don't import what could potentially be a national security risk onto our home soil. Tommy, we have been so concerned about what is going on at that southern border. And we know that with the 8 million people that have come in under Joe Biden, you've got 250-something known terrorists that have applied for asylum. And we are doing our best to find out what they have done with these individuals because we don't want them in a jail in Tennessee. And I know Texans don't want them in a jail in Texas. And they ought to be sent to Gitmo because they're terrorists. And that is where they should be going. But we know they're not sending them there. So some of us have asked for a briefing to find out exactly what it is that they are doing with these individuals. Second, 
There are individuals that come across the border, thousands, that are from countries of concern. Last year, we had people from 180 different countries that came across that border. We know that the that Homeland Security is not tracking these individuals that are coming from countries of concern. The first couple of weeks of October, we had 30 Iranians, 35 Pakistanis, 100 Russians, and we had 2,000 Chinese that came to the southern border and were seeking asylum. Think about these numbers. Think about the magnitude of this. And then you have people saying, well, we need to take others that are refugees. And what you're beginning to see is mayors and governors are pushing back on this and saying, absolutely not. Now, Senator Haggerty and I have had a piece of legislation for a couple of years that is really very simple. It says you cannot, the federal government cannot move an individual uh, that has entered the country illegally to a state without informing the state. If ORR, Office of Refugee Resettlement, is going to move individuals into a state, you have to inform the governor of the state. This is common sense. Right. Uh, you know, it would be nice to be given a heads up. It would be nice not to be, you know, absorbing more people into this country when we've got Americans and veterans that are, you know, sleeping on park benches. Last thing I want to ask you about, I was stunned, Senator, and I mean stunned, when I saw yesterday that amidst all of this, amidst the campus protests in favor of Hamas, uh, amidst the rise in anti-Semitism, the hate crimes against Jews, I was absolutely gobsmacked to see our vice president and our president put out this statement I'm about to play about a concern that they have. It's not anti-Semitism. Let's take a listen, and I want to get your thoughts. For years, Muslims in America and those perceived to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate number of hate-fueled attacks. As a result of the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, we have seen an uptick in anti-Palestinian, anti-Arab, anti-Semitic, and Islamophobic incidents across America. And so today, I am proud to announce the Biden-Harris administration will develop our nation's first national strategy to counter Islamophobia. This strategy will be a comprehensive and detailed plan to protect Muslims and those perceived to be Muslim from hate, bigotry, and violence, and to address the concern that some government policies may discriminate against Muslims. For example, the so-called Muslim ban, which President Biden revoked on our first day in office. Senator, I mean... I to be tone deaf is one thing. This takes this to another level. When you've got Jewish students, they're afraid to go to their college campuses, and then you're going to have a national strategy to combat Islamophobia. You got to help me make sense of this if there's any sense to be made. You have to wonder what kind of news they are watching. How can they sit there and not realize that Hamas which our government recognizes as a terrorist organization, 
that they carried out these unprovoked attacks on Israeli citizens in their homes. They killed them. They beheaded babies. They put babies in ovens and cooked them to death. Uh, They killed grandparents in front of their children. They killed children in front of their parents. People were running for their lives, trying to get away from the terrorists. I have met with some of those families. I have heard their stories. It is heartbreaking. Right now, what our focus as a nation should be is we need to make certain Israel has everything they need to defend themselves and that Israel has everything they need to eliminate Hamas from the face of the earth because you've got one of the Hamas leaders that yesterday gave an interview and what did he say? He said they're going to continue the October 7th style attacks again and again and again until they wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Yeah, they're quite clear in their motives. It's really shocking that some Americans don't listen to the direct directives coming from Hamas. They want to do what they want to do, and they're honest and transparent about it. And still, we give them the benefit of the doubt, not we, let me, but Let some. me tell you something. When your enemy or your opponent tells you they're going to do something, you would be wise to believe them. Uh, I agree with you. If only some of your colleagues there in D.C. could listen to those wise words. Senator, as always, we appreciate you standing up for the United States of America, standing up for our interests, and of course, the state of Tennessee. God bless you, and we hope to talk to you soon. You too. Take care. All right. Our new Speaker of the House appears to be a regular person with a regular person net worth, and the left is suspicious. It's time for Final Thoughts. Folks, the left is so damn used to and so supportive of its politicians getting rich off politics and or having a suspiciously strong stock portfolio that they were taken aback. And I mean violently taken aback to discover this smoking gun bombshell damning truth nugget about the new Republican Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. He doesn't have retirement savings. He doesn't own any stocks. He has less than $5,000 in his bank account, has a mortgage, a home equity loan, and a personal loan. He likely lives paycheck to paycheck. Holy hell, is he the boogeyman? Bigfoot? The Loch Ness Monster? No morons, he sounds a hell of a lot like an average freaking American. And guess what? That shouldn't scare you, that should comfort you. The House of Representatives is supposed to serve as the people's house. It was intended to be made up of community leaders who stepped up to serve their fellow constituents and represent their needs, their struggles, and be one of them. But somehow, thanks to the twisted and dirty game of politics that so-called leaders on both sides are far too good at playing, being an elected servant of the people has become a multi-million dollar gig thanks to side hustles, kickbacks, and very, very intuitive stock predictions. So does it bother me that Speaker Johnson appears to be a pretty average Joe with pretty average finances? Um, hell no. But the folks over there at the Daily Beast are suspicious. They don't see any corruption in Speaker Johnson, and that leaves them feeling a little unsettled. You're right, Matt. 
I don't know how he will manage to budget our money effectively, given he clearly doesn't know how to bankroll special interest dollars like his cohorts on the left and the right. What's next, Daily Beast? Are you going to drop some more fear porn like Mike Johnson has been married for over two decades or something truly horrifying like he has four kids? You know, I bet these idiots in the media will also find a way to vilify the fact that Speaker Johnson took in a black teenager and raised him as his own 24 years ago. I'll tell you what, isn't it sick and sad that the political establishment, along with the establishment media, has been conditioned and trained to believe that an average guy with a good family and not a lot of extra fuss and frills is the real threat, and the guy who's crackhead, prostitute-loving son, profited off the office is just a loving father. You know, I encourage these media hacks to step outside of D.C. or New York or L.A. and get into the heart of this country. Be prepared to see a lot of average Americans working hard and asking for little in return. It'll probably shock and scare the hell out of you, and that says everything about you. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.